1991, I was the recipient of the ever so loving nickname, Tina Talk A Lot. Now, this could have stunted my extroverted self, but instead I embraced that name like it was my job. Almost 30 years later, that name still rings true. Here's the deal though, I actually really love to listen too. Someone once joked that this only happens on Tuesdays though. Now, I don't want to disappoint your expectations of the show, so we won't veer off too often, but on occasion, you will hear from people other than myself. This episode happens to be one of those. Well, everybody, I think by now you probably know that every Tuesday you get to hear from me and a guest. Today's guest, her name is Laurel Wilson, and she is someone that I actually met online. And even more so, we met through a mutual connection through a networking group that we both belong to. If you've been listening to this podcast for at any length of time, you have heard me talk about the Refine community. This community is one that was developed by one of my very best friends named Terry Johnson, and she has a sidekick, and her name is Jen Amslander. She's been a guest on my show as well, and that is who connected Laurel and I. What's so even just a little bit crazier than just being connected online like this is as I dug into Laurel's page on Facebook and saw who our mutual friends were, which I feel like just about everyone does that, right? Like you look at people's mutual friends to be like, do we actually know some similar people, right? Beyond even who we know in the networking group. And I saw a familiar name and it happened to be Laurel's mom. And I met Laurel's mom at a networking event, uh, more a conference, not a networking event, but a conference in Arizona of all places. And so it just made our world like super small and immediately had something for Laurel and I to discuss. Now I share that with you, not because that's so important for you all to know, like, oh, how do I know Laurel? (laughs) You're not going to like write that in your diary tonight, you know? Um, But it's important for you to know that the connections that we make five years ago, 10 years ago, a couple weeks ago are so very important to hold on to. And it just creates that little, you know, small world connection. That's so neat. So I can't wait to dive in Laurel to your story. I'm so happy that we have been able to like actually connect. I always know when, you know, we're going back and forth and trying to figure out a time and date when it takes a little while, those are like the best interviews because they're supposed to happen. Right. So Laurel, I would love for everyone to just meet you to know, like, who are you? What do you do? How'd you get here? I know that's a lot of stuff, but I'm sure you have a, have a good explanation for all the things. So. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to thank you first of all, for having me on your podcast. It truly is one of those things where it does go back and forth. It's like, it's meant to be, cause we're mm-hmm. trying to make it work, especially with, you know, kids and all the things it's ah. um, sometimes a challenge, but always works out even better than expected. Yep. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Laurel Wilson. So I'm originally from Denver, Colorado. I live there pretty much my entire life until I decided to go to Oklahoma state. It was funny. They actually had a map of everyone, like a dot at every state that the seniors were going. There was two dots in Oklahoma and I was one, I was the only person really leaving Colorado. So it was kind of funny. I was leaving for a little bit less beautiful state, but I actually met my now husband and I've been in Oklahoma city for roughly about seven years. So I guess I'm more of a Oklahoma resident, but, um, I graduated from college thinking that I was going into the event industry. You know, I had kind of this plan for my life and fortunately it was working out pretty well. You know, I always, I always knew as a kid that I was very blessed and I was very aware of that, but it was right when I was halfway through college that I experienced 
my first big shift. Um, I unfortunately lost my dad to suicide. And I remember it was like specifically halfway through college and I went back to Colorado and I remember thinking, am I going back to school? You know, what does this look like? This whole life plan that I had wasn't happening anymore. Um, and I didn't really know how to walk through that. And so I really didn't, you know, I kind of just, I always describe to people that I'm on this, um, airport sidewalk, you know, those moving sidewalks at the airport. That was kind of where I stayed in my life for a little bit. Um, and I wasn't really finding joy in a lot that I was doing anymore. Um, so I went kind of into a sales job for a little bit. I kind of jumped around to figuring out what that meant for me and really trying to seek joy in my job. Mm -hmm. And, um, as I was doing that, I unfortunately lost my brother to suicide as well, three years later. So when I was walking through both those tragedies, you know, I wasn't really knowing what to hold on to through all of that. Um, and I remember there's just one point in my life and I remember thinking, I just need to figure out what joy meant to me again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting enough. I don't know if you know this about my mom, but I, I grew up with her teaching mostly female entrepreneurs about having a vision for their business, but also their life. Well, I remember taking that to heart for the first time, because when you're growing up, you don't really want to think that your parents are right. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, you know, I didn't want to give my mom that satisfaction, I guess, but I was at this point in my life where I'm like, I really see why I need this. And it wasn't that I had my own business. It was just, I needed something else that was going to give me some clarity on how I could have a joyful future. So that was a kind of the first time that I wrote out this vision for my life. And my first one was not great. You know, I was very confused and kind of lost, but I knew I needed to make a shift in my life to start doing something that I knew brought me joy. Cause I was, as I was walking through all that grief, there was not a lot of joy as you can imagine. So I decided to go into the wedding industry hmm. thinking that was going to be super joyful. And it was, um, if you know anything about weddings they are wild, um, they are so wild and yeah. working with, with all the different personalities, right? Yes. I, I joke that my next book is going to be about all the stories I have from the wedding industry. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it was good, but it was where I needed to be. I think I healed a lot as a person. Um, and I really, I was in the place of joy and I was being my best self because I was good at events and I liked connecting with people and having a bit more normalcy, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but right around when 2000, very beginning of 2019 came, I remember feeling this very, very strong urge that I needed to start sharing my story a lot more, you know, up until that point, I thought who, who wants to hear about this? You know, I would sometimes even kind of dismiss it under the rug of everything that I'd gone through when I, the conversation came up mostly because I felt like I was protecting other people from it. Um, you know, when you tell somebody something sad, you instantly want to comfort them because you're like, oh no, no, it's okay. Like I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're you're like, I've walked through this. It's okay. I'm yeah. telling you. Yes, I get it. Yeah. So I remember thinking, why in the world is, you know, for me, it was, I felt like it was God telling me that I needed to write the story. Hmm. And I remember calling my mom saying, okay, we need to figure out how we're going to put our story into a book, but not just for people to hear it, but for it to help people. Yeah. And so we created this book, keep looking up. It's been out since November 11th of 2019 and has 11 chapters of things that we learned as we walked through those years of grief and change and shifting and all the messiness that comes with that. Um, and as we were speaking before, you know, the book kind of went out and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to my comfort zone of working in weddings. And I'm just going to, you know, kind of let, let it happen. Maybe a few people read, it'll be fine. And I started getting asked to speak to young adults, mostly, um, people asking me, you know, can you talk about how you walked through this being 20 and 23 
and I'm now 28. And so it, you know, walking through that at such a young age in my twenties, how are people, you know, going to receive that? What's crazy is this was right before COVID started happening. And so as we started entering that world, I started getting asked to speak more of how can young adults walk through all of these changes that are happening and this mental health that's unfortunately rising. Yeah. So I decided to leave the wedding industry and um, had my son May 1st of 2020 in the midst of that craziness. My goodness, of course. Um, right? Yeah. And I've really never looked back. I know even on the days where I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? It'll be the very next day that I'll have something that will remind me or conversation or somebody will say something to me that's such reassurance mm-hmm. that I'm like, okay, I just have to stay the course. I have to trust the plan. And, you know, whenever we veer off into a path that seems really scary, it's usually because it's where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. I mean, I, of course, had no idea it was going to fully come out of your mouth as, you, you know, you ask someone, share your story, right? right with <laughs> things. And the fact that you talked about the word joy is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just recorded a podcast on the fruits of the spirit mm-hmm. and joy happens to be one of them. And it's a topic that. Um, I was, I was actually sharing with my husband. I came home that night after I was reading about, so kind of even back up a little farther. The reason I was recording this podcast on fruits of the spirit is was talked about in my Bible study. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing what, 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 if we had to, you know, share what fruit of the spirit do we have in our life at the moment and what one is lacking. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the gals in my group had shared that joy was lacking and, um, I shared this with my husband just in general, we keep things confidential, but I was like, Oh, I was sad. A couple of people had said, you know, this, and he's like, well, but joy in the Bible and joy in, you know, how we would describe it is a little bit different. Like joy, how we often describe it is like happiness, right. but real joy is found in like the Holy spirit in our relationship with Jesus. And you know, that, that really like made me think. So when you brought it up, I'm thinking, oh yeah, this joy is kind of one in the same, right. Kind of both. And in, in the worldly happiness, like, how are you going to have that again, um, mm-hmm. with your world being so different and then also being able to rely on, you know, your faith. And I'm sure that's a big part. And I so wish that I had already like read through your book. I <laughs> love being able to do that before I have you on, you know, yeah podcast. I did dive in uh, to your side and learned a bit more about your story. So I was, I was ready um, for you to share, but yeah, that's a lot, a lot to walk through. So isn't it wild? I mean, I wouldn't say, I don't, I don't believe the statement. Everything happens for a reason. I don't, I do not believe that statement, Uh, but I believe that God does turn, Mm -hmm. you know, dark into light. And now who would have ever thought that, you know, what happened to you, you're now able to use in a crisis time, our world is in and you being able to be that like light, like being able to share with people. I think that's just so amazing. I love it. It brings me, gives me tears. Yeah. <laughs> um, so being able to be in and be that resource for young adults, right? Because where are they turning? The wrong places, unfortunately, right now, because yeah. yeah. I don't think there's a lot of resources offered. Mm-hmm. And I love that you use the word light. I just actually branded myself and I chose the color yellow because it signifies light. And yes. then green also signifies growth. And so I think the two kind of go hand in hand is that 
I had to grow through a lot so that I feel like I can be a light to other people. And I do think I'm still in the process of figuring out exactly what that looks like, but I feel this very um, strong urge that I am called to reach out to those young adults and be a resource as even though that seems like a very, I wouldn't say burden is not the right word. It's more of a responsibility, a heavy responsibility to take on. Um, But, you know, even just with conversations I've had with, uh, I spoke to even 12 year olds recently, 12 year olds, Mm -hmm. high school students and young adults, and they are walking through so much more than I had to walk through at that point. You know, yes, I went through my family things, but this is more of a world worldwide scope and just things, massive shifts that they're having. And even with some of the high schoolers, I was like, man, they seem so mature for their age. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's because they've had to grow up a lot faster and they're seeing, unfortunately, they have access to so much more. And Mm -hmm. that isn't always a good thing that they're not accessing the right type of resources for sure. And so much is being thrown at them that I don't think they can process what's true and what's not. And also spending a lot more time with themselves. I think the best way that people have been describing when we were technically on lockdown or whatever you want to call it in our homes is that we were forced to spend a lot more times with our, a lot more time with ourselves than we have in a really long time. Yeah. And that's confusing if you don't know who you are. (laughs) Right. That, you know, I think about it for myself, I'm 41 years old and that's still confusing to me to like have to do on my own. So I think back if, I mean, even myself at your age or, you know, 10 years younger, um, thinking about growing up with a Google search bar, Mm -hmm. um, that is something that I didn't grow up with, right? Like it wasn't, um, a part of my 10 year old self, my 15 year old self. And, you know, even in my teenage years, it took a long time for that dial up to get going for me to even (laughs) search one thing. You can bet that I wasn't searching anything that like was going to it just, it, it, there wasn't anything bad that I could even hardly get to because it took so long. Right. (laughs) I don't even know my mind could have got there. There wasn't ads flashing up. There wasn't connection with friends. Um, it was just a completely different separate thing. And so I'm not that old, right? Like I'm not that old that that wasn't a part of my life at one point and is now, but for like my, my kids, you know, um, my oldest is 14. She's never not grown up. Yeah. Uh, with a Google search bar, right? Like at any moment, she knows she can walk over to me, come to my phone and ask me to look up anything from when she was yeah. two to look up Elmo, you know, to now she has her own, own devices. So um, I do think that's a big thing. And so if you're having to spend a lot more time with yourself, I think what people actually are doing is spending a lot more time on that, on mm-hmm. that device or that thing. And yep. it's whatever that thing wants to tell you how you, how you need to feel. And so uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy to, to know even like what to do with kids, you know, what to, you know, we, we had made the decision to uh, take our kids out of public school. Yeah. And I have like, no, um, I have absolutely no judgment. There's plenty of days I want to send my kids back, um, but I have no judgment for people that have their kids in public school or, you know, I don't even disagree with everything at public school, but the more I'm out, the more I'm so thankful that I, I put my kids in a bubble wrap and, it was a few years ago, actually, um, probably a year before COVID, all the things happened. Um, we had some kind of traumatic stuff happen in our family and my kids were going to counseling. And I remember being on the couch in the counselor's office and my husband and I were there separately. So we, the kids would go and then we would come yeah. and separate and just want to hear like 
what's going on in our kids' lives that maybe they're not telling us. And turns out they were telling us everything, but she just, she just got to hear it from a different perspective. Right. Yeah. And my husband had made a joke. He's like, well, what do we do besides bubble wrap our kids? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, keep them in a bubble wrap. And she goes, you know what? People make fun of that, Mm -hmm. but that's not a horrible thing to keep your kids in a bubble. And I was just like, it helped me so much because I know oftentimes you know, people think oh, homeschooling maybe, or keeping kids, you know, kind of tightly connected to you could be a bad thing. And I think yeah. right now it's not bad. Like no. if you yeah. one of the biggest influences on your kids' lives, I think that's a really, really good thing. So, um, I love it. So another thing you said that it just makes me so happy. And I just was like praying, as you said it, that my kids <laughs> feel this at some point, but the fact that you were able to in your twenties, reflect on your mom's work. And that again, makes me super emotional because I hope that my kids see that, um, you know, with all the work that I've done in my life and the things that I've taught people that they look to me as a resource. And, um, I think that's so beautiful. So obviously your mom and yours relationship is tight. You guys have gone through a lot. Now you've written a book, you know, Mm -hmm. work together, uh, you help her, she helps you all that kind of stuff. So tell me about like, what did that look like when you were younger? Like, yeah. I'm sure it was a little crazy. Yeah. I, you know, I am super thankful. And I want to say too, before I talk about my mom and I's relationship that I love how you talk about, you know, jokingly bubble wrapping your kids, but I've said this, I'm only, I've only been a mom for officially two years on Sunday, but my husband and I talk about so much of that. We are their protectors. We are his, his protector right now and hopefully future kids to come, but we are their protectors, protectors of everything. And we, you know, have to protect them in this world because there is so much distraction and so much influence that if we don't do it, somebody else is going to infiltrate that seal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's incredible. Um, and you know, people can joke all they want, but it's so, so important now for sure. Yeah. So definitely yeah. walking in those same, same shoes as well. And looking at lots of different schooling options. Um, but you know, when I growing up with my mom, so I grew up with parents that were very different in certain ways that my dad was much more corporate minded kind of by the book sort of a thing. And my mom, you know, being very vision oriented. And, um, she was in network marketing actually, since she was pregnant with me. So she started out, um, with Arbonne, my brother was two and she was pregnant with me. And she started out with the company because she wanted a different, um, dynamic for us. She wanted us to keep, Mm -hmm. keep us home, you know, that kind of a thing. And so she had taught her Arbonne, um, team and other, you know, sideline sisters, whatever you want to call it all about having a vision for your Arbonne business. But then she started migrating into teaching just women entrepreneurs in general about this. So I remember watching this and for me, I didn't know any different. So I don't think I realized how important it was that I was watching until I became an adult and especially a mom myself, because I remember my mom, this will be, you know, jokingly like tattooed on her arm or something that she says, you always have choices. That whenever I would say something of like, well, you know, I can't do that. Or I, you know, need to make this change or whatever. She was always saying, you always have choices. You can always make a change. You can always make a shift. And I remember thinking about that, you know, when I got out of college and started working in different jobs and I was bouncing all around, I was like, this is such a mistake. I need to just stick somewhere because that's kind of how my dad's mentality was, but that's not really our world anymore. And I remember having my mom's voice in the back of my head of saying, you always have choices, And it always came down to what the vision for your life looked like and ultimately what is bringing you joy because nothing else really matters, right? If you're living this joyless life, why are you doing what you're doing? We get so stuck in that mentality of, oh, it's the finances or, oh, it's the time. 
And I just always would always remember that saying in my mom's head of you always have choices. It's just, you have to choose. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that because I watch a lot of young adults that are following with what their parents said. And it's not that any parent does a bad job. Everyone does their best. I believe that, mm-hmm. but they've are generationally told a certain thing of that. This is what you do. You go to college, you graduate, you get a job and that's your option, but they don't realize they have other choices and other options to do other things. Yeah. I love that. Just that statement, like you said, like something your mom wants to tattoo on her, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you always have choices. I, I can go back, as you said that into many different parts of my life where I maybe even made the choice that other people wouldn't have because right. it was, you know, maybe uh, more of the mentality that your dad had is like, you do something, mm-hmm. you stick with it. This is how, you know, it works. And, um, when, <clears throat> I owned, um, I had purchased a hair salon, uh, realized very quickly that what I purchased and what I actually got were different. And I knew that in my heart of hearts, I could totally do this business if that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't. Right. And it, it took me not very long to realize, um, you know, I owned it only for 18 months about, and it was a a huge financial burden on our life and our family and, and closing it was going to hurt for a little while, but it was yeah. going to stop bleeding. And it, it was like one of those decisions, one of those choices that I could honestly be the, I was the only person that could totally make it. I could ask for advice. You know, I could see what other people thought, but no one was living in my exact shoes. Yeah. And so I had to be the person like to make that choice, but I had it. And I think I, well, I know because so many people have told me they wouldn't have made the same choice because they would have been scared. Um, and I lost relationships, um, which are still, you know, I don't know that they still hurt, but they're still, it's still sad, you know, Um, because I, I had to take my own interest, my own family, you know, into account and, and make that choice. And so, I'm sure along the way we've had all had choices that we've made, um, you know, that, we know we may be the only one in the moment that truly understands that choice. Yep. Um, it's, you know, you know like we're talking about the, you know, young adults do all the outside influence. It's the same thing. Like you could have mm-hmm. asked a million people their advice and you could have had so much outside influence, but I think you, you knew deep down that that was what you were supposed to do. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot, we kind of, we, kind of all know those things, like a little bit in the gut or heart or mind, wherever you kind of, you know, pull from like mine is totally my gut. Like I totally know mm-hmm. when I know, I know. And then it takes me a little while to say it out loud because I know once I say it out loud, like then it game over, you know, yeah. like, and so, especially with my husband. And so, you, you know, as you know, we've been married for 16 years. It's like, you kind of know like how it all works. And like, if I say something, he's like, oh, it's immediate. Now it's happening. Like I can't kind of like process something. Like it's just going to be a thing. So for that same example with the salon, I was like, I know I got to do this. And when I said it to him, he's like, yeah, you're right. And I was just like, he's like, I've been waiting for you to say that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but he wasn't about to be the person to make the choice. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's awesome. So now, you know, you're out of the event space, you're, you know, I've written this best-selling book that had to have been really interesting writing alongside your mom. I love that. I'm 
it's on my, it's on my list of things that I will be doing is writing a book nowhere near the same topic, of course, but, um, and not with anyone. Um, so I'm sure there's so much to learn from you on, on the writing of the book, but now you're speaking and you started speaking in a time where some speakers were like, what in the world? Like, why did I get into the speaking business? Now we're, you know, doing talks on zoom and now you're shifting again. So, um, a pause on this for a second, but I was just teaching my kids about the industrial revolution. Yeah. And you know, they were talking about how there was so much change in that time, right? Like we went from having these small businesses to boom, all these factories are up and like all the workers and had to move to manufacturing, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it was like, oh, you know, kids and I were talking about like how crazy of a time that was. Like, I can't even imagine how everyone felt. And then I fast forward to what I just said out loud to you in that you had to make these like quick little shifts. So like anyone kind of coming into the workforce in like, you know, four or five years ago, it's like, you've had to refine yourself like yep. three times. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not totally, I mean, I guess I am kind of saying like industrial revolution was crazy. Yeah. I'm not saying this was crazier, but also it's like, I can't imagine jumping out of school thinking you're going to do one thing, moving into another thing, and then having it shift so much. So tell me a little bit about that experience, like, especially the speaking part and how did you do, how did you do that? Well, in, in, during the pandemic? Well, it's funny because when I think back on that, which it's interesting that you use that, I guess metaphor might be this right word, maybe not, you know, relating it to the industrial, um, I noticed if I look back, I guess it's been since the book is launched 2019, roughly about three years. Every time that I was trying to force that shift to be what I wanted it to be, God did the exact opposite Hmm. where I remember, like I mentioned, when that book got launched, I didn't really want much to come out of it because I was afraid of it even going out to begin with. And so I forced it to think nothing really is going to come from it. It's just going to go out. We did a couple of book events and that was that. And then it was funny what started coming out of that. Right. And I thought, well, okay, I'll do this one little speaking thing and that'll be it. But I'm just going to stay in the wedding industry that I was, I was wanting so bad to stay in my comfort zone because I had been forced out of it, unfortunately with tragedies up until that point. So the thought of being forced out of my comfort zone in a good way was still scary where I was thinking, even though that this could be really good, it's really uncomfortable for me. And I don't really know how to step into that. And then it was funny enough that I got pregnant with our son right before the book came out. And that created another shift in me of like, I've always wanted to stay home with my kids, but what does that look like? So when I look back, I see that these things were perfectly correlating together. But when I tried to force it to be what it wasn't going to be, I just had to release it. And I feel like I'm even there now of that. I've been trying so hard to, you know, force finding more in person because that seems like those are happening more. But the minute I step back, something comes up that I would have never expected. And so it's one of those things that we can't really stop these shifts from happening. And so we really have to release that control, which is not easy for me. I'm very type A. I mean, I have like a desk calendar. I got my to-do list sitting next to me. But every time that I've let go over the past couple of years, it's always worked out better than I thought it was going to. But it's never, ever comfortable to do that, Um, especially with speaking now that I thought that I was going to be talking to my age group a lot more. Mm -hmm but I realized I'm speaking to people of the age group that I was at when I really started going through those shifts that when I recently just spoke to my college, I went back and spoke like we had talked about before this podcast, I went back and spoke to them and it was, it resonated so well with them because 
I was walking through the worst part of my big transition at their age. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, man, okay. She was walking through that when she was in this spot and she got to that point yeah. and they they're seeking help for me. And I'm like, okay, when I stepped, when I stepped back and I started talking to other age groups and different audiences, it's worked out better than I expected. So mm-hmm. it's mostly re- releasing control. And then also believing that I'm meant to do this, you know, the imposter syndrome, I think yeah. that's, oh, very, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's been many times where I'm like, man, why am I being the one asked to do this? Or am I good enough for this? And I've been really, really trying to work on releasing that as well, mm-hmm. which yeah. is not so easy. Yeah. <laughs> what a personal growth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it's interesting. As I, I heard you speak from the minute we first started talking, I was like, oh, she has so that it factor of that mm-hmm. speaker of that person. And it's so interesting to hear that every single person has some sort of like imposter syndrome mm-hmm. happening. And I've had it throughout the whole time I've been in business as well. Like why me? Or yeah. um, when I started my first business, I was 28. And I remember people even telling me like, basically I was like, not too young, but they just would make kind of that kind of little snide, like, what do you know? Kind of thing. Right. It's like oh, a lot more than you about social media, yeah. <laughs> like a lot, you know? Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's interesting. I think sometimes people give you that kind of idea of imposter, uh, imposter syndrome and sometimes you give it to yourself, right. You know, like, mm-hmm. what do I know? Who am I to do this? Um, you know, so that's interesting that you bring that up. So I, yeah. I love all this. Can you tell me a little bit, um, naming your book? Was that mm-hmm. something that just like came to you? Was it something that you guys worked on? Is it an editor thing? Like how did that, yeah. how did that hit? Yeah, it came about in a couple different ways. You know, for us, the last chapter of the book and something that we focus on, I mean, daily is all about having a heavenly perspective. You know, when you lose people, especially the way that we have lost people, there has to be some faith to hold on to that you're going to be together again. You know, mm-hmm. I, I personally don't understand how people walk through losses that big in their life and don't believe that you will be reunited. You know, that's just my own personal belief that I, I see signs of them all the time. And there's butterflies on the cover, if you didn't notice, and I have butterflies behind me, but I saw them all the time after losing my dad and Mm -hmm. brother, that they were, they're literally angels. If you look up what butterflies and birds are. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always reminded of those heavenly signs. And so the keep looking up part is you can physically look up, you know, we have this belief that heaven is above us. I think it's actually all around us, but this idea that heaven is above us. And so it's, it's that part of it, looking up to your heavenly perspective. But I also believe that you can't move forward unless you are literally looking up, you know, if you were to walk with your head completely down, you're not going to get very far until you walk into like a wall or something like that. And so you physically have to lift your head and be able to move forward with your life. And so there's a couple different meanings behind it. Um, but it's more so just really picking yourself back up and understanding that this is very temporary, you know, that this, we were not meant to only have this lifetime and that is it. So it's, it's the end of the book and always that constant reminder for us. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. That's beautiful. I just, right when you said the name of the book and I remembered it from looking at your site, I was like, oh, it's just so beautiful and so simple. And it just, it obviously, you know, has a lot of meaning for you guys. So right. that's great. How was writing a book with your mom? Like, how did you, do you guys now, again, I wish I would have read it before having you on the show, but did you guys take time, you know, back and forth, her perspective, your perspective, or is it all kind of mingled together? Yeah. So we did, um, my mom's perspective and then mine within each chapter. So the first part will say Carrie, and then we'll go into her part and then mine. And then at the end of each chapter, we have questions and reflections that families can work on together or just do it individually. 
we wanted it to be very tangible and then also very relatable. You know, I, I technically lost different people than my mom did, you know, different relationships. And so I've had people coming to me that have lost their dad and their brother. And, you know, there's widows that come to my mom that wouldn't necessarily relate with me because I've not lost my husband. And so we wanted it to be split that way. And then we also hired a ghostwriter. Um, we are fairly good writers, but we knew something so personal would be hard to actually write out. Yeah. So for about six months, every Monday, we would have like an hour or two phone call with our ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. And we would talk to the, through the chapter. She would type it all up and then she would send it to us, you know, a couple of days later, we would edit it and then we'd work on the next chapter that next Monday. So it was a super fast process yeah. of writing it, yeah. but it was the editing part that was hard because it was her her words, but our voice and trying to combine the two, it took a little bit, but she, she truly, I think is also an angel. She was just the sweetest woman and took every word into account. Um, and I think by about the third chapter, she had it down so well of how we both sound. It was almost kind of creepy how good it was. That's awesome. <laughs> it was yeah, a cool, awesome. cool experience. Um, that's a really sign of a really great writer when you can do that. I talk about that a lot from a marketing perspective on the show about how our words actually create our brand more so than anything else. You know, we yeah. think we spend so much money and time on logos and websites and, you know, our colors and our fonts, but our words, mm-hmm. you know, developing them or just revealing them are so important. So if people yeah. can take your voice and make it, you know, you know, take it and put it out there and it still sounds like you, they have really mastered that yeah. the art of the writing, you know, especially from a ghostwriter perspective. So I love that. Well, Laurel, this has been awesome. I, you know, I would love if you would, you know, kind of wrap this all in a pretty bow. If you have any like words of wisdom that you want to share, whether it be with, you know, someone just getting started in the speaking world, the writing world, or, you know, maybe even working with your mom, whatever comes to you, like, what, is there anything else that you kind of want to leave us with here? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the first thing that's coming to my mind is um, the word vulnerability. Is it something I've had to work on a lot over the last couple of years? You know, when I introduced myself, what I shared and how I shared it has taken me years to share that. When I lost my dad to suicide, I actually used to lie to people about how he died. And I talk about this in the book that it was mostly with college students. You know, I'd meet somebody just for a little bit and they'd say, oh, what do your parents do or whatever? And if it came up in a conversation, I didn't really want people to know me for that person that had lost their dad to suicide. So it took me a really, really long time. And it um, really took losing my brother and that seeing other people were walking through this as well to realize that my story had power and that, um, when I started sharing it and I started noticing it was helping other people, it started to heal me as well. And I think right now we're living in this world, you know, we talked about social media a little bit, just infiltrating us with so much false reality that everybody else has it together, that nobody else is struggling, that, you know, nobody else has depression or anxiety or all this stuff. And that if, if every single person on social media were to just share one thing in their life right now, that is not going well, it'd be incredible how vulnerability could change a lot. And so there, there are times even, you know, when I share things on social media, I'm like, Oh, is this too much? And then I'll share it. And somebody will message me like, man, I needed that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if all I can do is that I can just open that door, that vulnerability is like a much more uncomfortable, a more comfortable thing. I think it could create a really good ripple effect. Absolutely. That is beautiful. I knew you'd have another word of wisdom for us. So thank you so much for sharing. This has been so um, lovely. So lovely to be able to chat with you and hear your story. I will definitely put links to your book and your website. Um, 
online, is there a best way for people to communicate with you? Is there a favorite social media channel that you have? Yeah, I'm always on Instagram. Love Instagram. Yeah. I'll put a link there as well. So for those of you listening to the show, I'm sure you just love Laurel as much as I do after hearing her story and hearing her path. I'm excited to hear what next book you'll come out with, or hopefully someday I'll be able to hear you speak um, on a stage. So thank you so much for being here. And for those of you listening, I would absolutely love to carry on the conversation with you as well over on Instagram at Tina Pettis, anywhere online. I'm the only Tina Pettis. And if you would do so, I would love if you would leave a review on the podcast. You can now leave reviews on Spotify. And of course, Apple um, has always had the um, option to be able to do that. So I hope you guys have a great day and we'll be back here Thursday for a solo episode of Tina Talks.